Well, good morning again. If you would, if you have a Bible, if you'd turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, Deuteronomy chapter 1, lots going on. Uh, continue to pray for our super summer students and blessings on all you who have adopted a student for this week to pray for them and to encourage them. I was just uh, overwhelmed at the great response from our congregation to do that. Pretty awesome stuff. Next Sunday is one church, one service at 10 o'clock. You come at 9.15, you'll just get to eat goodies, okay? And the coffee room will be open next week, God willing. If we don't have any more water crises in Emporia. What an interesting week, huh? Um, also, next Sunday afternoon, there will be a baptism and uh, encourage you to come and participate in that in a cookout. I think we have about 10 people to be baptized, so it's going to be um, a blessed event. Uh, do continue to pray for Tim Wright, as many of you know, and maybe some of you missed this. He had um, brain surgery this week, had a brain tumor removed, and so um, don't know quite what the moving forward is going to look like for them. So uh, pray for that family. Pray for Joy Watson. She's um, gravely ill, and so continue to pray for her. I did get word from Garen right before the service that his friend Bill Perry had passed away. If you've been following the emails on that, that's a, a fellow who does the same kind of thing, that work that Garen does, that involved in that with International Student Ministry. Mid-50s, leaving a family, leaving a wife, and I think, was it seven children? Yeah, seven children, so do be in prayer for that family. You know it's a journey, isn't it? And in the midst of it, there's the bitter and the sweet. There always is. In this life, it's just going to be that. And so we, we, if we keep God in the story, if we keep God in the story of the bitter and the sweet, that's, that's it. Well, if you're just joining us, we are working our way through the entire Bible. Uh, God willing, in 26 weeks or so, approximately, um, we've already had an expansion. This is week six, and it's going to be actually a, a, a two-week series. Sorry, folks. It just happens. And um, so if you, have a, if you don't have a folder to track with us, there are some on the, uh, on the ledge back there at the kiosk in the Welcome Center. Uh, that would help you. Let me, let me just do a, a little bit of review. Um, the Bible is composed of 66 books written by over 40 authors, if you think about that. And then it was written over roughly 1,600 years from 1,500 B.C. to roughly 100 A.D. And... What's remarkable is these 40 different authors over all this time from different backgrounds, uh, lawyers and uneducated fishermen, shepherds and kings, there is in the midst of this, and I think one of the great arguments for the inspiration of Scripture is there is a unity and there is a progress to what God is doing. I mean, I was thinking about that just this morning, about how would it be if somebody started a book you know, in 500 A.D., and it's my turn now to write a chapter in that book that's going to be congruent with all the other chapters and be moving the ball forward down the field. 
I, I just, to me, it's just amazing how that when you track through the Bible and you see this unity and you see the progress to what God is doing. From Genesis 1, when God created all the world, to one day in the new kingdom when all the earth will be filled with his glory. In fact, in the text that we're dealing with today, in Numbers 14, 21, God is judging his people. We're going to talk about that today. We'll talk about the judgment that came upon his people. And he affirms it by two things. He affirms it, one, as surely as he lives... As surely as there is a God, it's going to happen. And secondly, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Now, this is one of those things where God's timeless and he sees everything now. God is, what's his name? I am. Remember, God is I am. And so, at that time, was, was the earth filled with the glory of God? No, it was not. He was speaking about what's going to happen at the end when we see in Jeremiah uh, 31, and I don't have time to turn to that text, in Jer Jeremiah 31, where it says that one day all people will know me, know me. The whole earth will be full of my glory. Everybody will know me. No man will say to his brother, know God, because his brother will know God. And there will be a, a day when there's no war, no injustice, no prejudice, peace and wholeness. People will love God with all of their being and live under his rule and his reign. And that's going to be one day. And we're building. We're building toward that day. It's not today. I don't think it's going to be next year. But we're building toward that day when the whole earth will be filled with the glory of God. What's God doing now? Well, this is chapter 1 of three chapters, which I call the provision of redemption, part of God's unfolding uh, story, God's unfolding drama. The chart looks like this. Uh, Genesis 1 through 11 is not on there. That's the prologue to the story, God getting started. Abraham said, God said, I'm going to make a great, mighty nation of you. He had a son, Isaac. Had, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. God chose Jacob, 12 sons. Joseph goes to Egypt. While they're in Egypt, the people multiply. That's all the little dots. God raises up a leader. That's the big dot. Then they go to Mount Sinai where they're getting the law. And coming ahead, we're going to have Joshua and the land. Today and next week, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the dash. <laughs> we're talking about the dash between Mount Sinai and the land. We're going to live in the dash for a couple weeks. All right? If that makes any sense to you. Um, that's where we are. Our text this morning is Numbers 13 and 14, but I ask you to turn to Deuteronomy 1 because there is a summary of what happened in Numbers 13 and 14, that's a lot shorter Bible reading than it would be for me to read all of Numbers 13 and 14. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through the, all that vast and dreadful desert that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God has given us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead of us to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported, It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. 
but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. And I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you, what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to your forefathers except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Because of you, the Lord became angry with me also and said, You shall not enter the land, you shall not enter it either. But your assistant Joshua, son of Nun, will enter it. Encourage him, because he will lead Israel to inherit it. And the little ones that you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them and they will take possession of it. But as for you, turn around and set out toward the desert along the route to the Red Sea. Then you replied, we sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord our God commanded us. So every one of you put on his weapons, thinking it's easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said, tell them, do not go up and fight, because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command. And in your arrogance, you marched up into the hill country. The Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees and beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping and turned a deaf ear to you. And so you stayed in Kadesh many days all the time you spent there. This is God's word, God's holy inspired word for us. May he bless the reading of it today. God's building his nation one step at a time. The people have grown in Egypt. God's given them a leader. He's building a nation. He's given them people. He's given them a leader. He's given them laws. Now he's ready to give them a land. And in Deuteronomy 121 it says, go up and take possession of the land. This is the land God has given you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And it says here that they came and said, well, Moses, why don't we send out some scouts to, to look at the land and go before us and figure out places to camp and how we're going to do this. And Moses said, I thought it was a good idea. I think, I think if Moses had a do-over, he'd say, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not sending out any spies. We're just going to do what God told us to do. How many times does God prompt us to do something and then we think about it and we mull it over and we talk ourselves out of doing what God has already told us to do? I think more often than I would like to admit and perhaps you feel the same way. 
Can you visualize this? They come back and they hear the stories about they're out there. And, and get this in your mind's eye. You're in the tent with all your people and you're all huddled up. It's a great land. Yeah, but do you realize we're up against there? There are giants in the land. And they start thinking in, in, in unproductive, unhealthy, unbelieving ways. It's, it's really a battle for the mind, isn't it? And what did they say? What did they say in there? They said, well, God hates us. He delivered us from Egypt to bring us out here to kill us. Now, follow the logic on that. He had lots of chances to kill them already. I mean, remember he, uh, he opened up the Red Sea. They could have died at the Red Sea when Pharaoh was chasing them. They, got, they went out in the desert. They didn't have any water to drink. How long can you live without water? We know about living without water a little bit. This is a little bit more relevant to us, isn't it? What if this had gone on and on for days and days and days? And what if we didn't have vehicles to drive somewhere else and get water or have water shipped in? What if it's just you on your feet out in the middle of the desert and no water? How long, how's that going to work for you? You know, you can live without food for a long time, but you can't live without water very long. So it's really illogical. And what, what they've fallen into is some, some exaggerated ways of thinking. They see the enemy but they don't see God. They exaggerate the enemy. The enemy is great, and they forget how great God is. They, they're leaving God out of the story. They forecast and say, well, this is what will happen. We'll go up there, and we're going to lose. Because, again, they're leaving God out of the story, and they're not connecting the dots, the Red Sea, the water from the rock, the manna every day, and it just goes and on and on in the times that God took care of them. They say, where, where can we go and what will we do? And we, we, when you read the text in Numbers, you find out they had a plan. They knew where they were going. They are going to go back to Egypt. We'll go back to Egypt. We'll go back there and be slaves. Wow, that's exciting, isn't it? But I think there's a picture here for us today. You know, remember, Egypt was a picture of deliverance from Egypt. It's a picture of salvation, a new life new opportunities, new ways, and we get on our journey and we start living for God and then sometimes we run into something that's really hard and something's difficult and we, we think about going back to the old way of living and hiding from God and trying to hide our sin and using all those broken default systems of coping I love John 6 where Jesus does some things and the people come and they say, the people quit following him. They said, we're not, we're not going to follow you anymore, Jesus. And, and Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, how about you? And, and I love what Peter says. Peter said to him, said, uh, Lord, to, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are you going to turn? They're full of self-pity. They've forgotten the greatest principle in the Bible, which is that God is at work. And they blame somebody. They blame the spies. They say, well, listen, our brothers have made us lose heart. They came back. They're the ones. It's their fault. <laughs> you know, it's their fault. Again, all the way back to Adam and Eve, the woman you gave me, you know. The serpent tempted me, deceived me. I'll blaming somebody else. So, well, these guys went out there and they saw these giants and they came back and they scared us. 
It's their fault. And aren't we good about doing that, you know? This is kind of, you know, football's almost here. It's, it's kind of like they came back and said, listen, that other team is bigger and stronger than us. Don't even put on your pads, get on the bus, and go back home. Don't even go out on the field. Moses, what does Moses say? Don't be terrified, don't be afraid. And then in verse 31, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. But they didn't believe God. And they didn't listen to Moses. And the whole assembly rebelled. And they even talked about stoning Moses and Aaron. Can you believe that? Moses is the one that's delivered them from slavery. And they're saying, we're going to kill him. And God said to Moses, said, Moses, I'll just destroy all these people and I'll start over with you. Now, now let's just think about this as a human being. Wouldn't that kind of make your chest puff out a little bit? God said, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm finished with them. I'm going to take you and I'll make an even greater nation out of you, Moses. The Bible says Moses was the most humble man on the earth. We see that. He said, God, don't do that. Don't do that, because Moses, one, he loved his people. And second, he said, listen, Lord, the other nations that serve false gods, and a lot of the Old Testament, we, is, we read it through 20th, 21st century eyes, and we forget it's the battle of Jehovah God against the other gods. He says, the other nations will hear of it in, in your name, your name that we just sang about, your name will be discredited. Don't do it. Don't destroy them. So God didn't. If you flip back to Numbers 14, let me read what happened then. Numbers 14, verse uh, 20. Numbers 14, verse 20 through 23. The Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you ask. In other words, he responded to Moses, I forgave them. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will see it. And so if you're into numbers, there's a lot of numbers here, okay? He says, they've disobeyed me ten times. Ten times. And the judgment of God is on them. And no one 20 years old or older is going to enter the promised land. And, and, and they're going to die in the desert. In fact, they're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. They tested me ten times. No one 20 and older, over 20, is going to enter the promised land. And they're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. One day, one day, for every day, that the spies searched out the land and came back and gave a bad report. So the people said, oh, well, we're sorry. We're going to believe you now. And then they say, get your swords and spears. We're going to go take the land. And they go up there, and I love what it says. That the enemy ran them back like a, it was like a swarm of bees after them. It's too late. 
too late. Now, this whole, this whole section of Scripture here is about God teaching us time and time again uh, what Ashley mentioned this morning. Nothing's impossible for God. That's what we have here. It, what we have here is people looking at this with human eyes. The other team's bigger than us. They have these great cities. No, no, no. We, and we miss the fact that this is spiritual warfare. This is God saying, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. Now, they've forgotten what they learned at the Red Sea. In Exodus 15, the, the song of, of, of Moses and Miriam, give all the glory to God, the mighty warrior. His right hand shattered the enemy. His breath submerged them in the sea. That's, this, is, this is classic holy war language. There, there's, a, there's a very real sense when we track with the Exodus, God is doing all of this, and it's like, you know, um, Israel's kind of a long... It's kind of like this. Have you, have you ever... You, you ever watched a, a, a boxing match and, and, the, and, and they have the guy is in there either before or after. They'll show this guy and there's a lot of, lot of there's a big entourage with him. Remember a lot of people kind of hanging on? But when the fight comes, there's only one guy that gets in the ring. Okay? The rest of those guys are like, okay, I'll take my seat now. And he gets in the ring to fight. God is the one that gets in the ring and fights for Israel every time. God is their deliverer. And in a very real sense, they just come along for the ride. If, if, if they have enough faith to believe and to trust God. Powerful image there. He says, I carry you like a father carries his son. And all of us who have children, you, you know that you go for a walk with your little guy and he gets tired. And you pick him up, and you, and you carry him. That's, you, that's what you do. That's what dads do. It's, it's, it's very intuitive. That's what you do. And that's the way our Father carries us. This is relevant information. I want to I look at a, at a New Testament passage that goes with this. He, Hebrews 3, chapter 3. Turn to the New Testament. I'm not going to spend much time here, but we have a warning for us today in Hebrews 3 from the New Testament. In verse 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested me and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath on oath in my anger, they shall not enter into my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that no one of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have all come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at the first. As it has been said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? 
were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. We're, we're, you know, we're like these, these Hebrew servants of God back there, and we're on a journey with God. But we, we run the risk of having a sinful, unbelieving heart, of being deceived by sin. We start thinking things like, well, God is not with us, or God's not going to provide or maybe even we think what the Israelites think. We think, God hates us. Surely I know better than God. And so we revert back to those old ways of coping and the, those default sinful positions. You see, your life challenges may be like giants in the land, and they may be like walled cities to be conquered, but there is nothing, it is nothing to God to work with a few or with many. I love the story, I love the story in Judges where he called Gideon to go and fight the Midianites. You remember that? And he said, he got all the troops together and they had 32,000, and God said, you got too many. No general ever has too many soldiers. I'm just telling you. No general ever has too many. You got too many. So he pairs it down from, from 32 to, if I remember right, to 22, and then down to 300. 300. Get your army together. How many you got? I got 300. <laughs> I'm just telling you, 300 is not an army. Why did he do that? Because... Gideon and the rest of those soldiers were going to know that God did it. They didn't do it. God did it. You remember their weapons. Their weapons were a trumpet and a, and a, a jug with a lamp inside. Who goes to battle with that? God does. Now, the problem that we have here is very simple. It was unbelief. Or you could say it another way, rebellion. Rebellion against the will of God. And those, that, says, that rolls off your tongue very easily. But I want to tell you, rebellion and unbelief are tremendous problems. They're tremendous problems. And they weren't just tremendous problems back in the day. They're tremendous problems today for you and for me. We are warned against departing from the living God. We are called to encourage one another Because when we move away from God, when we don't believe in Him, it's a bad place to be. James exhorts us in James 4, 7, and 8. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Never forget you're in spiritual warfare. The, the whole Bible is about spiritual warfare. Come near to God and He will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your heart, you double-minded you see you can't you can't hold christ as lord in your life and have unbelief at the same time that's double-mindedness you can't do that so the story of the bible is god working 
And the corollary to that is that God works through human beings. But the reality is that rebellion and unbelief stops that. So, we're all on our journey. So the question I'll leave you with to ponder. What is your unbelief? Where is your unwillingness to trust God? What is it keeping you from doing for God in obedience? I don't know what God's calling you to do. Maybe it's like hearing God's call like Ben and Sarah did. God wants you to pick your family up and go to the Philippines. Maybe God's calling some of you to go into Christian work. You're pursuing some other education and God's prompting you and nudging you and You've been rebelling. Maybe there's a ministry God wants you to start. and Maybe it's somewhere where you move out of your comfort zone to help other people. Maybe it means changing a job, or maybe it means becoming a foster parent or adopting. Maybe it all starts with recognizing where you've been self-absorbed and you've made, a, you've made work into an idol and you've made money into an idol and you've called to, to leave whatever it is you've been worshiping to worship the true and living God and you don't even know where he's going to take you. But hear me today. Unbelief, rebellion toward gods. It's, 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 it's a serious sin. And all through the Bible, threaded all through the Bible, is where it stymies his work in people's lives. And it can stymie the work of God in your life and in my life as well. So if God is nudging you, if God is prompting you, don't think your way out of it like the Israelites did. Don't think your way out of it. Do it. Just, if God is in it, if God is in it, how can you fail? You're just long for the ride anyway, remember? You're just part of the entourage. If it's God will, God will fight for you. So, take that, ponder that, chew on that. Let's stand together for our closing prayer. If I can help you in taking your next step in your spiritual journey, please catch me after the service. I'd love to chat with you about that. Father in heaven, you tell us in the New Testament that these things were written in the Old Testament and recorded for us to warn us, to admonish us. This is one of those times that is sobering to realize these people who walked out of Egypt had a chance that they missed of their unbelief. Oh Lord, may we be people of faith, not just in word, but in deed. In Jesus' name, amen.